It's 7.07 tonight on the True Oldies channel, 95.9, 106.9. This is Iron Sports, and this is Ira talking about sports tonight. Everybody, this is a great night. In one hour, the Heat play the Sixers. This is NBA playoff basketball. People, I'm, I'm wearing Heat clothes. I'm walking around town. People are talking about the game tonight. They're excited about this game. This is the playoff basketball. They remember when LeBron was here and Wade and Bosch and the titles, but they are psyched for tonight's game. And it's going to be amazing. We saw what happened um, two days ago, but this is what playoff basketball is all about. But Mike and Sean are off. I'm here by myself. So we're going to go and write. I want to give a little summary. We've been doing the show now for two months. And someone said, why did you start a sports show? And Because no one listens to more sports talk radio than myself. I listen to it all the time. But the reason I started it is because everything I hear on sports talk radio, they talk about everything but sports. They talk about uh, elephant races versus rhinoceroses. They talk about their favorite vegetable. Or they talk about their kids or where they go at night. I don't like to talk about that. I know you have a short period of time to listen to sports. And I want to give it to you right now in one hour. So I can tell you what happened in the past week. We do the show on Monday. So we cover what happened on the weekend. And then give you an update for what's going on in the current week. And so when you're done with the show, you'll learn more. You'll, you'll feel like you understand more about sports and what the events. So people start talking and asking you questions. And if your kid who listens to every baseball game and every basketball game has a question, you can answer. Hopefully you listen to our show and you learn more from listening to that show. And also, I like to bring guests on that aren't just the standard guests that you might hear in a lot of places. Already, we've been two months, we had we're breaking down the NSA tournament, Doug West. Doug West played at Villanova. He was a coach at Villanova. He played in the NBA. He gave us insight that even the coach, Jay Wright, who I've seen on five other shows, couldn't give. We had Mike Isolino, who not only played in college, was a superstar in college, but also played in the NBA, played in Europe, and now coaches basketball. We had Curtis Williams, who is the number one trainer in the world in New York, and now he's a celebrity trainer in Los Angeles, and he broke down what people could do for the Combine. We had Mike Ivoroni, who is the one at one time the top horse owner in the country, who gave us the prediction that Justify would be the favorite for the Kentucky Derby when it was like the sixth or seventh favorite, and now it is the favorite for the Derby, and he'll be on in two weeks. That's where we talk about uh, the Kentucky Derby. So I bring and Scott Deal, a golfer who is on the Web.com tour and gives us insight in terms of what the Masters were and what's going on, not from the top PGA tour who's playing the Masters, but he had opinions and insight that some of the other people can't say. So I try to bring guests on that will give you some information that you're going to learn from and are really interesting. Tonight, two awesome guests are on the show. The first 720 will be Neil Rodell. There is, everybody was talking about Saquon Barkley from Penn State and the draft. We're all talking about, we're excited who we have. Um, Neil has seen every one of Shaquan Barkley's runs. He's the number one reporter for Penn State football. He's been covering Penn State football for decades. He is as into, he knows when Saquon was recruited, has talked to Saquon a million times, and he's going to give us insight into someone who people say is the number one uh, player in the draft. So he'll be on at 7.20. And then at 7.40, we have a legendary coach, Bob Patton. Bob Patton um, is in Ohio, every Hall of Fame you can imagine in Ohio. He's one of the top high school coaches of all time in that state. Plus, he coached in the World Basketball League, which is like a predecessor to the G League right now. And he won two titles in, in the World Basketball League, taking two players. I had four players that went to the NBA. And he also took his team to Europe and beat all the European teams. And to such to the point that Coach K, before the 
where the Dream Team played over there, had talked to Bob and had him break down all the teams. So he's going to be on at 7.40. Neil's going to be on at 7.20. We're going to talk... We're going to talk the East, East basketball now, Heat and Cavs. Then we're going to go to Neil. Then we're going to talk about West. And then we're going to talk about Bob. We're going to have Bob on at 740. And then at 750, we'll go baseball. I was at the two Marlins game this week. Uh, and uh, it was very exciting to be at Marlins Park. I'm a huge Pirate fan. So I got some insight about what's, going to, what, what's it like going down to Miami Marlins games. And what about the Marlins situation and Jeter and all these other things. So some good takes from that. But that's at 750. So we have a really jam-packed show tonight. And I think it's going to be awesome. First, let's talk about the heat. I'm telling you, I was there Wednesday night, last game of the season against Toronto. And they play great. They were Toronto. Toronto didn't just roll over. Last game, they didn't need it to win. They could have lost. They tried to win this game. DeRozan and Lowry, their two superstars, played almost 40 minutes in the game. And they were leading most of the game. But the Heat came back. They won in overtime. And exciting. The arena was going crazy. And I think that's... Uh, you watch that game and Whiteside didn't play. Whiteside played like 20 minutes. Okay, scored 12 points, sitting on the bench pouting. But it seemed like the team got, was in a good flow. They are playing great. Ellington was amazing. He was 32 points, 12 for 16 from the three-point line. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy how well it was for the field, uh, making threes, amazing games from Ellington, probably the best game he ever had. I think as a Heat fan, you were confident going to the playoffs. I told everyone I thought the Heat were going to be the Sixers. I think the Sixers had a great season. They ended on 15 straight games. But I felt that this was going to the Heat with the experience that their team had, the experience the players had, the coaching staff, and it's a series. And, and that's the most important thing. This is a series, seven games. And, and, and that's what I love about the NBA. Because you can, be, you can look at it, you can look and say, I'm up 1-0, 2-0. Until it gets to 3-0, this series is not over. I remember in 1985, long, long time ago, when Boston won by 34 points. They won 148 to 114 over the Lakers in the NBA Finals Game 1 with Larry Bird over Magic. And everyone said, it's over. It's finished. There's no way the Lakers are done. They're finished. They lost by 34 points. They gave up almost 150 points. They came back and won 4-2 in the series. So as much as I want to look in these game ones, because we saw all the series, we saw all the first games, as much as I want to look and I want to analyze those games once, and we're going to break those down, it's not, it's just one game. But it's how, it's how important it is I look and how everybody else looks. It's how the coaches look and what adjustments they're going to make. And tonight we get to see in like 50 minutes right now, we're going to see have the Heat made the adjustments. Because I don't believe this, that people say, oh, the series doesn't start till you win on the opponent's home quarter. You lose at home, that's when the series starts. That's ridiculous. The series starts on game one. You want to win these games. The Heat don't, do not want to go down 2-0 the Sixers. They want to win this game. They want to win this game tonight. I think they can win this game tonight. I know they're six-point underdogs, but I think they can win. So, but, and the key thing, one of the most important things is the Heat have winners. The Heat have people, this is, this is real, this series is extremely important. A lot of people are writing the Heat off. They're saying there's no superstars. It's, it's, there's no Wade. The, the, the old Wade is the new, we have the old Wade, not the young Wade. There's no Bosch. There's no James. They're going to get blown out. The Sixers, the new team. And if the Heat lose this series, if they get swept, if they just lose a series, I think this team is not going to be the same team back. I, I would say half the players won't be back. But this Heat team, with the way that the East is played out, if they can get on a roll and they beat the Sixers and they beat the Celtics or the Bucks, they, this team could go even to the NBA Finals. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what this team has. Look, Wayne Ellington won in 2009 the uh, championship with North Carolina. Justice Winslow won the 2015 title with Duke. 
Wade's won three titles. Drogic won the Eurobastic Championship for Slovenia. He was the MVP of that just last year. They have winners on their team. They want to win this game. This game is everything to them. This series is everything to them. This team is tired of getting told. Last year, they were struggling at a terrible record. They came back at the end of that season, had the best record in the league, and they didn't just miss the playoffs. This year, off to a slow start, but then they came on strong, and, they're, and now they're in. They have, this, they have the seventh seed, or six. You know, unfortunately, they have the sixth seed. If they would have lost against Toronto and got the seventh seed, they would have had Boston, who, as you see, is not playing that well. It would have been an easier game, but they didn't know when they were playing what was going to happen. But that first game against the Sixers, wow. I mean, they lost 130 to 103. It was 34. They got outscored by 16 in the third period, 40 to 25 in the fourth period. Whiteside hardly plays at all. I mean, the Heat played were 10 deep. They had nine players playing 19 normal minutes. But Richardson with a plus minus rating. So plus minus means how what their score was he was on the court. So you want to have a positive rating. The more you're on the court, if you have a higher plus, that means when I'm on the court, teams do well. He had a minus 30. That means the Sixers, the Sixers outscored the Heat for whatever, 22 minutes he was on the court by 30 points. That's not good. He was one for seven shooting. Ellington, who had 30-some points the night before and two days before, he has two for five from threes, scores no points. Winslow had a good game, and Olenek had a good game. Olenek had a good game against Toronto, and he had a good game. But besides that, nobody else came up. Nobody produced. Um, they did shoot 12 for 26 from threes, but Sixers shot 18 for 28. 18 for 28. The defense of the, the uh, Heat defense was terrible. Um, I, a bio who I think is fantastic. He's so exciting. He jumps around. He's amazing. His energy level hit one rebound in 21 minutes. He's got to get more than one rebound in 21 minutes. I mean, what question? What kind of adjustment should the, should the Heat make? A lot of people say start Dwayne Wade. I mean, right now, like it's been nice. Dwayne was traded to the Heat in the, with the, near the end of the season, and he said, "Okay, I'm going to come off the bench. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to. I don't want to cause any friction with the team. I'm coming off playing my 20 minutes." But now it's important. Now we're in the playoffs. I think Dwayne Wade's got to start. I think he's got to start along Drogic. I think Tyler Johnson could come off the bench. I think Wade could make a difference. I think it would send a sign to the Sixers that this is serious. And I think Wade's got to play 30 minutes in a game. I know he's older. I know he's a little tired. I know he's been playing 20 minutes. But he's got a lot of rest this season. And if you're going to use Dwayne Wade, if you're going to have that magic come back, he's got to play. And I, I have a feeling, I have a, a feeling the Heat might start him. The Sixers are a dangerous team. You know, they're, they are an amazing team to watch. They have four super young, great players. Uh, Marco Fultz, who was out most of the year, as someone who drafted one of his fantasy basketball and who's been horrendous the whole year. But he came on. He was the number one draft pick in the draft. And he's starting to play really well in like 15, 20 minutes um, uh, stretches. Darius Sark, he's played great. He should have been rookie of the year last year. And, uh, and he's been playing amazing. And, and certainly... Ben Simmons, who people think is like the next LeBron James, the next great player. Doesn't shoot threes, just passes the ball, rebounds the ball, runs the court well. And then they haven't had Joel Embiid. That's why this game is important because the star center for the Sixers, Joel Embiid, is out. He's going to miss one more game. This is a game they got to take from the Sixers. Embiid is definitely going to be out and he'll probably be back for game three. But it's imperative that, that the one thing, it's interesting how the Sixers have been constructed. Because what they did was they have these young players, everyone who's 19, 20 years old, but then they put Bellinelli on the team. He was nine for 17, four for seven from threes, 25 points. Bellini, Bellini has played 30, has been 32 years old, 10 year vet. He started with Golden State and actually played for the Spurs. 
I mean, he was fantastic. He's had a lot of playoff experience. He came up really big. Amir Johnson started in place of Embiid. He was great. He's 30 years old, 12 years in the league. He played amazing. And, and J.J. Redick. Eight for 13, four for six from threes, 28 points. He's 33 year olds, 33 years old, 11 years in the league. So there you have all this leadership, senior leadership on this team. They were really helpful. It, it is going to be a challenge. Uh, we're going to have Mr. Patton on who watched it. He's going to talk later about what we're going to do. But I think that in terms it was one of the most exciting. It, get ready for the great game tonight. But I think it'll be important. So we have on the line now, coming up, Neil Rudell. From, let's see if Neil's on the line. Neil, are you on the line? Hi, Ira. Hi, Neil. Welcome. This is True Oldies Channel, 95.9, 106.9, Ira on Sports at 720. And on the line right now is, if there's anyone who knows anything about Penn State football, the most intelligent person, this is Neil Rudell. I mean, Neil, we, I brought you on to talk about Saquon Barkley. And I think you've watched probably live every single one of his carries. So who else would know more than you? Um, one thing about Neil is that he's been covering Penn State for decades. He is also the editor of the Outs and Amir. And he went from sports editor to the editor of the Mirror. That just shows you from where I'm from how important sports is, where suddenly the sports editor gets to run the newspaper. And, and most importantly, one of the most important things he does, he runs the Blair County Sports Hall of Fame that every two years gets thousands of people to, this, uh, to, uh, to the uh, presentations and has uh, the most amazing guests and raised uh, millions of dollars to charities in the area. And he's been running this for, for many, many years. So, Neil, thanks a lot for, having, for coming to my show on my show well ira i appreciate uh, being on your longtime friend you do exaggerate a little bit with the thousands of people and millions of dollars but we uh, do have a decent program that we've been able to keep going thanks to a lot of great community support so how are you I'm doing great. I know. And thanks for coming in. I know you're on vacation right now in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So that's good. That, thank you for taking some time out on your vacation to come on the show. And, uh, um, but I guess I just want to jump in to talk about Barkley a little bit because it seems like nationally now everybody loves to talk about the draft right now. It is so talked about. Everyone's into it more than 10 years ago. But does this feel like, is he like the most talked about Penn State player ever in your mind? Well, yeah, I think that's fair, um, but I think it's also a product of where we are. Um, with with uh, there used to be one mock draft, and it would be Mel Kuyper's. You know, many years ago, he he had a draft book, and he put out a first round of a mock draft. Now it's projected by so many different media or fan outlets, uh, you know, deep into the third round, if not more. Uh, so I think uh, for sure he is a, a decorated prospect, a uh, special player, <clears throat> and I, I think that, uh, you know, you're right. He's probably been more talked about than, than any other Penn State uh, draftee uh, ever. And, and in terms of people say running backs, and, and I hate saying, well, these are the running backs from Penn State. They played in a different system in a different time 20 years ago. But And everyone says, well, every running back has been a flop. And I know John Carter was number one, Blair Thomas a number two pick. Um, you can go back to Larry Johnson, who actually was good. I think it's a mixed bag. You have the Larry Johnsons, the Kurt Warners. Franco Harris was a Penn State running back. I mean, John Capaletti won the Heisman Trophy, was drafted in the first round. So I think you've had some good and bad, and you find that with all the other teams. Do you think in terms of when you look at him and look at you've seen them all how does he rate as opposed to these other running backs these great running backs that i mentioned well i think he 
I think he's at the top of the list. Um, not only, first of all, he's only there three years. Um, and uh, some of these other kids, Redshirt, John or Redshirt, uh, only played three years, but he was in the program four years. Um, you know, I, when you talk about Saquon Barkley, you're talking about somebody that has speed and power and also is a tremendous receiver, uh, a great blocker, and somebody that is the ultimate team player. Um, you know, you see the, uh, uh, around the NFL, uh, there's often <clears throat> a lot of problems with people who aren't happy. Usually it starts with the receivers. Uh, but hey, Barkley's a kid that's going to do, uh, you know, what he's asked to make the team better and to win the game. Um, you know, and now, you know, of course, everything changes when you get paid and, uh, you know, you go to that level and there's so many different people that are, uh, reaching for you and at you. And, uh, that'll be curious to see how it translates if he does end up going to the Giants. Um, but I, I think this kid is special and has a chance, uh, to be great at the next level. Uh, you know, and you're right. Uh, Penn State has had some history recently of guys that were tremendous in college, first-round picks, who didn't pan out in the pros for different reasons. I think this kid will. In terms of recruiting, I mean, I, as a Penn State fan, I mean, I, I certainly was aware of him. I think he was ranked like the number 20th back in the, back in the country. And I went back and looked, and he was the 291st recruit. So this shows you every time when we have high school and they get you know, recruited and they say, oh, they have the best class or this class. I mean, he was the 291st uh person. And in the same year, um, uh, Sam Darnell was 115. So Darnell, who could go one and Barkley could go two, one was 115, one was 291. It's interesting, the year before in 2014, Fournette was number one and uh, Deshaun Watson was number 16. But in terms of when he came into the program, what, what did you feel in terms of you know the first practices? What did you get a sense from talking to the coaches? Did they know, oh my gosh, he's a lot better than we thought? Or how did, how did that first come when he first, when he first stepped on campus? Well, Ira, he only had, well, number one, he was committed to Rutgers. Um, so they, they talked him out of that uh, shortly after James Franklin uh, got the job. Um, they had him in the very first game against uh, that he played. He only carried, I think, once against Temple, uh, the disaster game uh, with Christian Hackenberg getting sacked uh, ten times. And I had, I had been told, kind of a funny story, um, that, you know, it took a little while to get Barkley, you know, up to speed. He's a true freshman and to learn the offense. So um, I was told that somebody said, well, he doesn't know, uh, you know, all the, all the plays and all the nuances uh, yet. And the comment was from somebody, you know, that had a, you know, um, a line to the coaches that says, well, run the ones he knows <laughs> because it was clear that he was going to be the best player. And, you know, obviously he turned out to be. And uh, But it's an exact science, as you said. Uh, he was committed to Rutgers. He thought it was a big deal when Kutztown offered him uh, midway through his high school career. So sometimes uh, people don't know how good kids uh, are going to be, and sometimes they don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, he rushed for 1,000 yards his first year, then 1,400 and 18 touchdowns, and then the final year, 1,200, 1,871. And his receiving went from 20 to 54. But 
I mean, he's legendary around Penn State. I mean, the work ethic. I mean, I mean, you talk about being a leader. I mean, the weight room. The and you saw that at the combine, where I mean, he set every almost record in the world. What I mean, what did you hear from Penn State? What were people talking about him in terms of his work ethic and and how he just improved and how he got faster uh, and all those things? Well, they love that, Ira, and that, that's one of the things that I think is helping them. Uh, you know, continuing in recruiting is how well their players, not just Barkley, but Jasicki and 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 Troy Apke uh, and some of the other guys lit up the combine. Troy Apke was a player as a safety that I I said, geez, you know, uh, every time he's in a game uh, up until this year, uh, you know, something bad would happen. He just didn't look like he was quite good enough. Um, this year he had a he had a good year, and then he goes he goes off at the combine. He may end up being a draftable player. I mean, if you saw Troy Apke walking on campus, you would not even know that he's a, um, maybe a professional football player, uh, just kind of a diminutive safety. And I think Dwight Galt and Penn State's approach to strength training uh, has really uh, elevated them in the eyes of, uh, of a lot of these recruits, and Barkley's going to continue to help that. Um, you're listening to Two Oldies Channel, 95.9, 106.9, Iron Sports, and we're talking to the expert on Penn State football, Neil Rudell. Neil, this year, a lot of people thought Barkley was a favorite to win the Heisman when the year started. And then that Iowa game where I think Kirk Herbstreit crowned him the greatest football player I think he's ever seen. He had uh, 28 carries for 211 yards, a touchdown, and 12 catches for 94 yards. But then what happened? What He wasn't even invited to the to the New York for the presentation. I mean, he, he I know that he only had two, three, one, uh, three 100, 100 games the rest of the season, but is it how Penn State used him? What do, what do you think happened after that Iowa game where he was definitely the front runner to win the Heisman and, and then ended up that Mayfield ended up winning the Heisman. I think what happened, Ira, is teams made up their minds that he was not going to be, they were not going to let Barkley beat them. And that's why he had, so. I think he led the country in lost yardage in terms of uh, the number of times he was stopped beyond the, uh, behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and that was kind of an odd thing. Uh, you know, their line took a while to get going. Um you know, and I think it was just strictly game planning, and that's why Jasicki and Deshaun Hamilton and some of the other guys, Godwin, the year before, had uh, uh, a great year and played himself into a pro. Uh, I think that some that it was strictly kind of a game planning type thing where they decided, hey, we're we're just going to take the ball out of the hands of, of their best player and make them beat him uh, make them beat them in other ways and uh you just mentioned one of the in the one of the other players next year there's gonna be a fantasy football draft and someone's gonna say mike is just sicky and everyone knows where to look around saying who is mike just and as someone who's watched him i mean he's phenomenal absolutely amazing and at the combine he had was the t- first tight end in the vertical jump the broad jump the 40 yard dash and second in the bench press and and he went from being a second round now people are projecting him as the first just some, some words about what you know where you think Jaziki is and and, and and to at the next level what he's going to be like as a tight end well he is a great uh high ball uh jump ball type uh receiver and you know a former volleyball basketball player uh you know this kid is going to be matchup problems in the red zone i see where he's ranked among you know maybe the third uh best tight end i don't know if he'll go in the first round but somebody's going to get a, re- a kid that can really go get the ball now can he block 
at that level, that'll be something that he'll have to prove and, and, and grow into. The neat thing about Jasicki is he probably, uh, the way he overcame adversity, Ira, he dropped more balls uh, as uh, a young player than anyone that I ever can remember. I mean, <laughs> just st- stuff that would let the air out of the stadium, wide open things that they would drag him across and get him wide open, and he would drop the ball. He dropped eight, nine wide open balls when he was a, a, a freshman, and he really learned from it. He never backed away from it. He uh, said he wouldn't change anything. He He's an example of how to keep your head up and, and move on from bad times. Wow, that's no, definitely. It'll be very interesting to see where he's going to be drafting the other Penn State players. And just before we let you go, I just want to ask you, what do you think about next year? I mean, Penn State, two years ago, James Franklin loses to Pitt, and people are thinking he's going to be fired. And then he has the amazing run, beats Wisconsin, wins the Big Ten title, goes to USB, plays USC in the amazing Rose Bowl, which people still talk about, and has a great year last year. But And the recruiting classes are tremendous. I mean, the best recruiting classes Penn State's ever had. Um, what do you see for next year, Trace McSorley being the quarterback coming back? What are the prospects? I mean, Penn State is in that killer division in the Big Ten, but what do you see in terms of, uh, of, the, of next year's team? Well, I mean, they're really built for success. I mean, they got the program uh, on a roll right now. I mean, you know, the, you know, obviously Penn State, you know, for your viewers and their re, uh, listeners in South Florida, everybody knows that Penn State went through, <clears throat> they've been to hell and back, and uh, they've really regrouped from that and learned and respond. But the, the facilities uh, and the emphasis on football was always there, and it was always going to be that whoever did succeed Joe at some point there was going to be a lot of things in place built for success. And I think that's what you're seeing with Franklin. All his staff, unlike the past, all his staff is out there recruiting. And, um, the, you know, the, these, these are, this is a head coach now <clears throat> that will take a helicopter to games on a Friday night in the Pittsburgh area uh, and maybe go to a couple places when they're at home on a Friday night. I mean, he is around the clock recruiter, and that that wasn't happening before, and that's why the program, one of the reasons it had slipped to generally a nine and four program, you know, through the nineties and the uh, and later in the two thousands. So he he has done uh, a really really good job. Uh, he's embraced the past, respected the past, and really been eager about the future. Next year, I think they're really built for success. I mean, uh, probably a lot of people will pick them 11-1 and one with a loss to Ohio State, maybe at home, or maybe a loss at Michigan uh, if they can win both those games. Some people will pick them to be 12-0. I'd say an optimistic pick would be 12-0. Um, a realistic uh, pick will be 11-1. and one. Maybe a pessimistic pick will be 10-2. and two. That's how good they should be. Now they're going to maybe play Pitt at night over there in Pittsburgh, so maybe maybe that will be a little bit more of a competitive game than than people expect but um they play nine big 10 games and they they should be poised for a great year 
Well, we're, you know, we're here in West Palm Beach, Neil, and certainly Penn State's base here of fans and people who follow Penn State is enormous. I, I wear <clears throat> Penn State hats around town and people are coming up to me constantly anywhere uh, talking about Penn State. And I know that this is the hotbed of, of certainly football, high school football, one of the hotbeds in the country. And Penn State and their, their uh, assistant coaches have been down here all the time recruiting at all the different schools. So it, it is interesting to see. I mean, the national focus that Penn State has and the ability because they have so many so much alumni everywhere around the country. But uh, I really appreciate you being on my show, and uh, it's great. And I would hey, love Ira, to... let me Hey, let me take uh, 30 seconds to tell a quick story about you to your, to your audience. That's uh, fine. It's great. You know, you, I, I con- congratulate you on your show. I'm really happy. I'm really proud of you. We've been friends for a long time. And I've, I've done TV and radio for many years in Altoona, but I go all the way back to I was, I was just in Altoona a couple of years. I was young myself. It's like 1980 or 81. I was doing a show called the Monday Evening Quarterback for WRTA Radio in Altoona. And I had this caller who called every week, and he sounded so young. And then <laughs> I said to myself, God, i got to get him off the air. He's too young. And the more he called, the more I realized, why would you want to get him off the air? He's probably your best caller. And Ira, that, of course, was you. And, uh, you know, we've turned out to be friends for, geez, almost 40 years now. And I, I congratulate you on your success and, and wish you all the best. Well, thank you, Neil. That's, uh, that's awesome. I remember when they used to call, when I had to call, I, I even gave my age. I always said I was 18 and I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12. So I was always lying about my age. I, if they, I was waiting. I was all nervous if they go, I tell my parents, I go, what if they, what if they, can I go to jail for that? Like if I lie about my age and get on. And, uh, <laughs> so, but no, I loved your show and thanks for coming. We're definitely would love to have you on this, this area, just to understand they love college football and it is just that uh, they follow every sport. So it's not just Miami and Florida state and Florida. But West Palm Beach, if you looked at like the national championship game, the uh, like Alabama and Clemson or whatever, whoever's playing in the championship game, their markets are one and two. And West Palm Beach is always like third. Like that's how big they they follow all. They just love college football here. So thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we have you on uh, later then. Thank you. Oh, sure. My pleasure. And thanks. And good luck. And have a great show. Thank you. That was Neil Riddell. This is the True Oldies Channel, 95.9, 106.9, Ira on Sports. And uh, this is Ira. We're uh, broadcasting live from West Palm Beach. Uh, that was just a little segue into the draft. Next week, we are going to have uh, probably all draft. Um, we're going to be breaking down the quarterbacks. I have some amazing guests that are going to come on. But I think Neil gave you a great insight in terms of of what is actually going on with Saquon Barkley and, and, and what an amazing person and a player he is and hopefully what a great career he's going to have and it'll be fun to watch in the NFL coming up. But we were talking about it. We're going to have Bob Patton come on in a few minutes, uh, the legendary basketball coach, to help break down the NBA. He's an Ohio native, so he has total familiarity with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. And let's just turn to the Cavaliers right now because they uh, they They lost. <laughs> which I did not think was happening. And, and it's surprising they lost because they were 20. LeBron James has been 21-0 and 0 in his uh, first round games until this game. And uh, it was just an amazing game. And it was it's interesting because everyone uses the term flip the switch. So if you're away on vacation, come back, come to the house, turn the lights on. And, you know, Golden State hadn't been playing too well. Golden State really just for about a month wasn't playing well. But 
they came back in and whoever turned the, the Kevin Durant switch turned on and suddenly they're playing defense. They're running around. Boy, that switch really turned on. Oklahoma City, they were struggling a little bit too. They were on in and out. They were struggling. They, it was tough. But somehow that switched Oklahoma City. They turned that on. Westbrook and George. And George scores 36 points. An amazing game for Oklahoma City. That switch turned on. So then when the Cavaliers came on, you're waiting for, okay, let's get that switch turned on. Let's see what happens with that. But that switch turned on and uh, nothing happened. Uh, they got blown out. I mean, they lost by 18 points at home. Um, uh, they let Victor Oladipo destroy them. Um, and uh, it was it was absolutely an amazing game to watch. But we have Bob Patton on right now. Uh, the uh, Bob, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Awesome. Bob, you are a legend, and I like having legends on my show. <laughs> this is Ira Coffin on True Oldies, 95.9, 106.9, and we're talking to the legendary basketball coach, Bob Hatton. Bob is known in Ohio as one of the best coaches of all time in the state. He's coached every level of basketball, uh, from high school to college, and he was actually the coach of the World Basketball League, the Youngstown Pride, which was a league for players 6'5 and under, and he won two um, titles at the World Basketball League. Uh, they played six years he won two of the titles and his team was so good they went over to Europe and then suddenly beat all the teams in Europe and he was a forerunner of his offenses where the whole forerunner to what we see today because really the center now is not involved unless unless they're shooting threes they're not really out on the court so he's sort of set the precedent for whatever and I know he's been consulted by coaches he's been run clinics around the country you've taught so many young kids it's great to have you on your knowledge is amazing Uh, thanks a lot for coming on my show oh no problem thank you very much for having me um, tell me, let's start with that just before we get into the game specifically. You were you were coached a team with six five and under, and you name me some of the players: Tim Legler, I think, John Stark, some of the players you coached. I mean, the amount, the amount of I, I could run down about ten of them that, that come to my mind. Tim Legler uh, played for Dallas. Mario Elliott played for Houston. They won two championships. John Starks was a great player at the New York Knicks. Hayward Workman played for Indiana. Vincent Askew played. Scott Brooks played in the league. He was one of the point guards. Uh, I think he's the head coach of Washington now. Andre Turner was a point guard at 76ers. Uh, Keith Smart and um, who was the kid? Um, well, he actually came off the bench for me. He didn't even start. Uh, you know, he won the big shot for Indiana playing for Bob Knight. Carlos Clark played for Boston Celtics. Chip England, I think, is in the NBA now. He's one of the shooting coaches. I, I want to say used to be at uh, San Antonio. Uh, there was probably five to eight more players that played in our league that went on to play in the NBA. So you, you ran a team and that nobody was allowed to be taller than 6'5", and people said, well, that's not really basketball. The, we need to have big plotting centers. Like, where's the Shaquille O'Neal's? Where's those big centers? And now I watch basketball today. I don't see any centers out there. I mean, Houston has Clinton Capella as their center. I mean, he's a small forward running around. And Draymond Green is the center for a Golden State. Tell me what you see in today's game and stuff that you were doing back when you were winning 15, 20 years ago. What well, the comparison? Oh. I think we were almost 30 years ahead of our time. You know what I mean? Uh, we started in 1988. It's, it's 2018. We, you know, when, you, when I think about basketball, people don't realize that John Wooden won an NCAA championship with Gail Goodridge and Walt Hazard, and I think his center was six foot six. They won an NCAA championship. Um, we, with that team that I had at Youngstown, we beat the uh, Greek national team, and they started, I'll never forget, their starting lineup was seven foot, uh, 6'11", 6'10", and then they had like a 6'4", and then their, their Michael Jordan was a Nicky Callis. I think he played at Seton Hall. 
and we started, um, you know, the, the six five and under team: Mark Wade, uh, Mario Eli, Barry Mitchell, Richard Hollis, and I brought. I told you, uh, Keith Smart and a couple of the other guys off the. And we they had to tap me on the shoulder. We were running them off the court. We spread the floor out, like almost like what uh, what Golden State does: penetrate and have they have bad matchups. People always think, well, you have a bad matchup because you know a six five guy got to guard a. Seven footer, but the seven footer got to guard the six five guy offensively. And how many great centers are there to score around the league? Not many. So that that philosophy, I think, some of the NBA teams picked up over the last couple of years. Now, you, if you look at all the rosters, they're all shooting the three ball more than they are uh, intermediate shots. Well, wow. I mean that's that's totally correct. Now, and I, and certainly you followed the Cavaliers. I mean, being from Cleveland and I mean even in the Ohio area, and uh, uh, and and worked at. What do you think happened in that first game? I mean, we just started talking about uh, the lost losing by eighteen. Where do you do you think it's just an aberration? Is they're going to get their act together? Is it with just one game? I mean, as I said, the series are long. Teams lose first first games. LeBron did not seem concerned. He says, look, I've been down 3-1 in the NBA Finals. I came back. I'm not nervous about this. What do you think happened in that first game? Well, I think the, the first thing, I don't know if anyone paid attention to it, was that was the first time all year long that the Cavaliers, that was the, uh, that was the first lineup that they had that was all different than they had started all year long. I, I, I still don't know why a coach would do that, but I think they'd be better off starting if, if, it was, if I was a coach, I would start LeBron James, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, and Calderon, um, two defenders and three scorers, because they did a terrible job of stopping the ball. And I think, you know, there's, they got some keys to the game they got to do a better job of. Their role players, J.R. Smith and the role players can't shoot eight for 34. That's just not good. I think they need to turn LeBron loose in the first quarter. And, and make him, you know, score right away. They've got to get up on this team. You know, that game was even after the first quarter. I think they ended up losing by 18 or 19, and they were down by 19 at the end of the first quarter. So that wasn't good. I think they do a, they did, got to do a better job of moving the ball. Side tops, you, the great teams move the ball and make the other teams guard you. Cavaliers, they're playing a lot like Houston, a lot of isolation. And I think the Pacers did an unbelievable job of taking LeBron away from you know, if LeBron gets into the lane and he gets into the rim, he's he's awful good. You're either going to foul him or he's going to you know he's going to dunk it or maybe they did a great job of taking that away. And then they did another great job. We used to call it no help responsibility, which means the person who's guarding Kevin Love, if LeBron comes down the lane, don't help on him. Stay on Kevin Love and stay on his chest and make the other players beat you. And that's what they did the other night. And you know if it ain't broke, I wouldn't fix it. They need to do the same thing again and have the other role players, you know, Jeff Green, uh, Kyle Culver, Rodney Hood, Larry Nett. They, those guys need to step up. Two out of four of those guys need to step up and make some shots. Well, that coach, coach, um, and then the biggest thing I think they did, if you watch the game, was they kept their poise. They didn't, they, you know, they just didn't lose when, that, when the, uh, the Cavaliers cut it to six or seven there, and they kept their poise and made another nice run. So um, I think their game plan was really, really good. 
what you know, you mentioned one player, and uh, probably what the most besides LeBron, the second most famous player on the team is Khloe Kardashian's husband, Tristan Thompson, and it was in the news and the tabloids and everything about what was going on this past week. But he played two minutes in the game, and everybody who knows Tristan from the last from the the Cavs from the last run, I mean, he's he's consistently getting the rebounds, uh, amazing. He's also a great offensive. It's a weird thing. He's great at rebounding offensively three point shots, and that's hard because you have to have long arms, you have to be aggressive because that the Cavs shoot so many three-point shots, they miss so many, and you think it's hard to get that type of offensive rebound. I was shocked he played just two minutes in a game. I, I would expect it. I mean, that was I thought crazy that Thompson didn't play, and I think you hit the nail on the head with Calderon because they need a true point guard in there. I like George Hill too, but I think Calderon's got to play some more minutes, and especially because Hill seems to be a little injured. Um, talk a little bit more about Thompson and Calderon a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's 100% right. You know, guys that are natural point guards growing up, I mean, my oldest boy was Mr. Basketball State of Ohio in 1990. He was the point guard from he was been in fifth grade. So when they're running teams, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, all the way up, all through college, they know how to run a team. So that's a really important part. You said something that I had a quote I used to put on my for all my teams that Pat Riley said one time. He said, no rebounds, no rings. <laughs> so it's really important that they rebound the ball. And I think Tristan Thompson gives them that, that rebound, especially offensive rebounding. You know, uh, everyone, the other night they were shooting, and it seemed like all four guys were watching if the ball went in fine. If it didn't, they didn't get many offensive rebounds. So I think he gives them that. And you're right. You know, you've you got to take that, that situation, that love life situation out of it, and you need to put him in the game. He needs to play more in two minutes. If they're going to play him two or three minutes a game, they're, 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 they're in trouble because their bench, these other guys, they don't have that playoff experience. This guy's been in the NBA Finals. He's, he's been there before. So that, that makes a big, big, big difference. Um, in one of the series, the Warriors Spurs. I mean, the Warriors won 113 92 over the Spurs. Um, certainly, San Antonio's had this great history. They're one of the greatest franchises, basketball franchises ever. <laughs> Amazing. But their star player, Quali Leonard, is not even with the team. He's pr- he's training or getting rehabbed outside uh, with his with the, in New York. Not even traveling with the team. Not training with the team. When they ask Popovich how he's doing, he says, "Ask him and his group." Um, it seems real strange. Have, have, how do you? How are you assessing that situation? Where supposedly even a month ago he was he practiced with the team and they for like three days and they thought he looked 100% and that's why the team said we want to have a team only meeting and say Quali you got to play you're a star player you have to play and then he decides to go back up to New York and then I compare that to Donovan Mitchell I was watching Utah the other day uh, yesterday and he was hurt with an injury and the, the, t- the trainers took him out he's sitting on the bench Quinn Snyder will let him back in and he was like pleading with the coach to come back and he ran back in and played great and I know they ended up losing to the Thunder but Mitchell was an amazing player but I mean Leonard has always had this history of being you know just a tough great player but this Last, this last injury has been very surprising. Um, he he was hurt last year and then and played only nine games this year. What what's your feeling about what about the whole situation with the Spurs and with Leonard? Here's what happened. And if you if, if you watch last year, Isaiah Thomas had played for the uh, Celtics. Some of the doctors told him maybe he shouldn't play. He had some other doctors tell him he should play. Well, he went in and played. He did more damage. I think that uh, Leonard sees the same identical thing maybe happening to him. And then they kind of threw him underneath the bus when they got rid of him. He, he was, he's never been the same player since that happened. I think Quan Leonard sees the same thing. He thinks that maybe uh, that could happen to him. So I think he's, he, he's playing it safe on the safe side. And I think that's 
that's bothering Popovich, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest coaches ever. When you when you see these coaches that that do the same stuff over and over again, and they do it well, you would think other coaches would copy what they're trying to do. They they play great defense. They're hard to guard. You know, you look at Golden State and some of the better teams in the league. They're hard to guard because they move the ball side top side, and they make teams defend you. Do the, almost the whole, you know, the whole 24 seconds. Where some of these other teams, that isolation stuff, it's hard to win that way. You better be awful good that night to win isolation basketball. But in in in, they can't win the series without a player like that. You know, all these great teams have to have. You have to have a LeBron type, you know, a, a, a Durant, one of those players. But you also need that second and third option. That's what the Cavaliers are lacking. That's what uh, San Antonio's lacking. They don't have a second or third option. So these other guys have to come through for them. If they don't, you're just not. That's what's making Philly so good. They're starting to really trust um, the, the big the big point guard Ben Simmons. And now what's happened to them is that they're going to be a hard knockout in this tournament because they got size. They got you know he's he he he's running the team without you know he the guy hasn't made a three all year and he's running the team. This is a proven fact that if you run the team real well, you can get great shots without it without shooting the three ball. And just comment on one other series. Late last night, I'm staying up, I'm watching, and I was just on the edge of seat watching the Rockets, Houston Rockets versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, the Timberwolves are a fun team to watch because they're all, they have the Chicago contingent. Three of their players have all this experience under Tibero, their coach, playing in Chicago, and uh, in Jimmy Butler, uh, Taj Gibson, and Derrick Rose, who played great last night. And then you have the Rockets with Harden and Capella, the number one team, and then you have, then you have Towns, who were playing for Minnesota, I guess the question I have, this is the number, the topic of that game had been is Towns scored nine points, took like eight shots, had eight points and nine shots, and everyone's saying, well, you're supposed to be the greatest center in the league. Well, you've got to get him involved more. How does Minnesota get him involved more? I mean, in this type of game that is freewheeling, they're up and down, um, and he, but he does shoot threes. What would you, did you, if you got a chance to see the game, how would you get Towns involved a little bit more than what they did? Well, you know, that's a, that's a good question because all the coaches should have a their game plan should be what do we want to do best what do this what does our opponent do best they got to take away with the opponent they they have to get the ball inside how do you do that sometimes just a mismatch screen where the a good point guard comes or a two guard comes down sets that ball screen I mean sets that screen for the center he rolls to the bucket and then you set maybe a down screen for that guy coming up so you you you, you hope you get a little mismatch there. But the way to do that is by ball movement. And then the, usually the screener is the guy that gets open after he sets a great screen. So I'd have him screen a lot, then roll back to the ball. And then in rolling back to the ball, you need to get him the ball. And then when he catches it, dive someone to the basket and then have your three-point shooter spot up so if they go to double-team him, he can kick it out. The best, the best three-point shots are inside out where they, you know, they collapse on the guy to center, and then, then you could try to kick it out to the three-point shooters. You know what I mean? But one of the, one of the things that, that that happens is, you know, people think basketball is all these – it's still great passing, great screening, and great shot selection. If you don't have those three things, you're not going to be successful uh, in, in any basketball game. And then defensively, you better stop the ball, contest the shots, and rebound the ball. If you, if when I when I was coaching, I only put four or five things up that I wanted to do offensively, and four or five things I wanted to do defensively. 
I learned along from Chuck Daly, who, who became really good for me, talking to me. He says, look, I used to put 30 things up on the board, and they'd only understand three of them. <laughs> So he said, I, I got, it took me years to understand. I put three or four things up, and we concentrated on those three. That's what I try to do. Three or four things, let's do these three or four things well, offensively and defensively, and then we'll make our adjustments at halftime in trying to do that. You know, that old saying, less is more. I think when you watch Golden State play, they, they don't do a whole lot of fancy stuff, but they're moving the ball, they're screening. If they overplay, they back cut, someone pops out to the ball. They're, they're fun. To me, they're the most fun team in the league to watch. Wow. Well, Bob, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. You are truly a legend. You know, I love how you break basketball. I mean, see why you're a phenomenal coach, because sometimes people make basketball too complicated and you just break it down into the easiest thing to understand. So it's great that you're on. We'd love to have you back later to talk about the playoffs. So keep sure. watching. I'll give you one last thing that Abe Lemon said one time. Was, I, was, I followed him. At a, he was the head coach of Texas, and he followed three defensive guys, and he said, I've heard it. Defense, 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 he said. I don't know. He said, all the games I've ever been successful, and I always have one more point than the other team. (laughs) (laughs) That is totally true. That is totally true. Thanks a lot, Bob, for coming on. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that you're listening to the True Oldies channel, 95.9, 106.9 on Ira on Sports. This is Ira. And uh, we have a few more minutes, and I do want to talk about baseball because – I went down to the Marlins game. I'm a huge Pirate fan, and I went to the Marlins-Pirates game. And I I have to say this. I like going to the Marlins Park. I think it's easy to get down there. I think it's easy to park. I love the stadium. I'm like the last person. They had the roof open on on Saturday and Sunday, so it was neat to go to two games in a row. And they had the roof open. It was beautiful that night on Saturday night. And I know the Marlins are not fielding a very good team, but it's a great thing to go to watch a a Major League Baseball game. Uh, That was a lot of fun and watching the Pirates. And I did sit in the Diamond Club, which is the best club. I've been to all the clubs and all the stadiums, most of them, uh, including Legends at Yankee Stadium. And the Diamond Club is absolutely amazing. The food was tremendous. It's nice seats. They have TVs in there. Watch the games. Everyone's courteous and fun. The staff at the stadium is is tremendous. It's, it's unlike a lot of stadiums. I think the staff is not as nice and, and courteous. Everyone at Marlins have taught well. And this was before Jeter took over. So it's not just because Derek Jeter was there. I did find that one funny story I had was I was hearing I was in line at the store and this one little kid wanted one of one of the jerseys of one of the players, Sterling Castro's jersey. They, and the uh, store person said, we don't have any more uh, jerseys with names on it from players because we traded all our players and we had to get rid of all those jerseys. So I guess that somebody has the Stanton and Yelich jerseys they're wearing, but they didn't, you can't even buy a Miami Marlins jersey with a name of a current player on the team. But um, it was neat. On Sunday also, what was cool was it was Jackie Robinson Day, an anniversary of the day uh, that he broke into the league. Every year they have a special day. So everybody wore 42 and there were special ceremonies. They have a lot of kids from the Boys and Girls Club watching it and, and brought them on the field. So it was pretty neat to see that. Uh, certainly the Pirates played great. Uh, they won the two games I was there. So it was nice that they won. Um, and um, won nothing in a very good pitching duel. And the Pirates are off to a tremendous start uh, this year. I mean, some teams, it's like the, this year in baseball is weird. It's like the Angels are 13-3. and three, The Red Sox are 13-2. and two, The Mets are off to an amazing start. And it really comes down to the pitching. The Pirates are the only team that really, maybe not so much pitching. They're really, their hitting is going well. But, so, so, but Otani... For the Angels, before we go, we have to talk about him because Shoshay Otani is absolutely amazing. He's 23 years old. He's from Japan. People had been talking about him, and people thought he was going to wait two years because
because we waited two years. When he was 25, he could have made like $200 million and been super rich. But he decided to come over when he's 23. So they paid, uh, there was like a posting fee. It's so complicated, I won't get into it. But they paid $20 million for a posting fee to his old club. He got paid $3.5 million bonus. He makes $500,000 a year. And what's so interesting about him is that he pitches and he hits. It's absolutely amazing. And there's been really nobody who's done that since Bay Ruth. I mean, in 100 years ago, in 1915, Ruth was 18-8 as a pitcher. In 1916, he was 23 and 12. In 1970, he was 24 and 13. And in 1918, he was 13 and 7. And that's when the Red Sox start, stopped pitching. When, when he went to the Yankees, he only pitched four games after the trade to the Yankees. And, and what he's known for is he pitched 29 and two-thirds scoreless innings in the World Series. So he's one of the best pitchers in the history of the World Series, the best batter in the game. And so that's why he's so legendary. So we really, but you would think that in the time, we would have another person like Babe Ruth who hit pitches and hits. Because if you look at high school baseball right now, and he, the best players are pitching and hitting. So we haven't had anybody. And then from Japan comes Shoshi Atami, who is an amazing guy. And so far this year, he has three home runs, 11 RBIs, 367 average. And he's uh, has two has two start. He's started two two and zero with a 209 ERA. And he took a perfect game in the seventh inning. And he, he's now filling the stadium in the Angels. If you get a chance to watch him, watch the highlights, go on. It's truly, he's truly amazing to see. So it's really, really exciting with that. And, you know, it's a great, it, this weekend for Miami Marlins fans, it's interesting because the Marlins are playing at the Yankees. And uh, uh, Jeter said he is not coming to the Yankees because he said he had mixed emotions. I don't understand what mixed emotions are. But it'll be interesting to see in terms of how the Marlins play in, in, in New York. But you're listening to Iron Sports, two oldies, 95.9, 106.9. As I said, next week, we're going to probably, Mike and Sean will be back. And we are going to talk about the draft because this is going to be, as we had Neil on this week, we'll probably have two more guests on next week, definitely breaking down the quarterbacks. And we're right in the midst of the playoffs. And we have so much to talk about for the NBA playoffs. We're going to have more games in. The series will probably be in the fourth and fifth games. And we get to some excitement. And so I'm going to go watch the Heat play right now, the Sixers. I think the Heat are winning this game. I think think the Heat are going to surprise everyone. I listened to all the pundits. Everyone has the Sixers winning. I think this Heat team, I like this Heat team. I like the players on this Heat team. I think they play hard. I think they're winners, and I think they're going to come through and win. But anyway, you're listening to Iron Sports. Thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. Tune in next week at 7.05 on Monday nights. We're always here on Monday nights, 7.05 to 8 p.m. True Oldies Channel 95.9, 106.9, Iron Sports.